Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. If you are new to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, what's it all about? What are we doing here? Why am I an American guy speaking English in a Mandarin podcast? Well, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is a new, innovative way of learning Mandarin by breaking it down into its component parts, which are actually far more than many other languages. People will talk about how Mandarin Chinese is the hardest language in the world to learn, and... I think that's a bit of a misleading statement. It's one of the longest languages in the world to learn. However, if you break it down into its component parts, then it's not really difficult. It's just a matter of walking the path. So what we've done here at Mandarin Blueprint is break down the journey into its simplest possible components and just step-by-step step show you where to go next. And of course, if even if you're completely unfamiliar with Mandarin, you're probably at least aware that there are these weird Chinese squiggles that associate with the sounds of Mandarin, and this is the part that makes it longer than other languages. If you're going to go learn Spanish from English, well, the alphabetical system requires a few things to learn, but essentially you're familiar already with the majority of the writing system if you know the English alphabet. Naturally, this doesn't apply to Chinese characters. Now, there is a romanization of Chinese characters, which is called the um, pinyin, and that does help you know how to pronounce things in Chinese, and we cover that in our pronunciation mastery course. But without actually knowing the characters, the pinyin is limited in how much it can help you. So... We built a course where you build up learning characters starting from the simplest of components, things like a horizontal line or a vertical line or a little curved line, things like that, so that anybody can kind of handle those individual strokes, and we just build it up from there. And we go, okay, here's a horizontal line plus a vertical line. Here's two horizontal lines plus a vertical line. And then we teach an incredibly efficacious mnemonic visualization method that we call the Hanzi movie method to remember every element of a character. The pronunciation, the tone, as you many of you know, Mandarin is a tonal language. Uh, also, the character components, the meaning of the character. All of these things are necessary to know, but if you can learn all of those things in one sort of mental movie, you shoot a little mental movie in your mind that each of the characters and props and actors and sets, it all applies to an element of the Chinese character. This opens up a much faster way of learning Mandarin because if you know everything about a character and then you learn a next character and you know everything about that character, then what you can end up having is two characters that you totally know that create a very common word. So many words in Chinese, the majority of words in Chinese actually, are two characters long. So if you can learn those two characters fully, then learning the new word is far easier. Then you've learned, say, 10 words. Hey, look, you can put those 10 words into a sentence, and now all of a sudden you're reading Chinese characters. And we can get you to do that in very short order by following the Mandarin Blueprint Method. And our trial now is 30 days long, so there's really no excuse not to at least check it out because there's such an efficacious way to learn Mandarin that doesn't have you rote memorizing, doesn't have you uh, unclear on what to do next, and therefore can just move you along in a series of steps. And so that's what the Mandarin Blueprint 
method is all about, the Mandarin Blueprint podcast is about answering people's questions who are on the course. They leave a comment on an individual lesson. They leave a comment in the community forum. Sometimes they send us an email directly. And we use the podcast to interact with the customers and we'll send a link to the point in the podcast where we talked about their question. And this could be true of you if you join the Mandarin Blueprint community. So with that said, let's get into some course updates because we've been doing a lot of very exciting things recently. And I wanted to just to talk to you about where our progress is at and how what we can be expecting over the next couple of weeks, months and uh, over the next year even. So I was saying to my girlfriend the other day that this is like one of those frustrating times that I think all of us have felt at certain points in our life where we have about four or five things that are almost done, but none of them are totally done. And it's just, that's the nature of running a business and having uh, this type of thing um, where, you know, you start a project, you think, ah, oh, this will only take like a month or two, and then you run into a little delay here, or, or oops, this thing was going to take longer than I expected it to. And so we've had a lot of things that were just, they just haven't quite gotten finished. And so now what we're doing is getting to the end of many of these. So one is the phase two vocab unlocked lessons. We're really getting close on those. Um, we had some, the, the d delay on that one was some lighting issues and some uh, uh, sort of video shooting issues, which are you know our fault and our video editor has to take some extra time and care to fix uh, our mistakes in that area. So uh, that was our, our bad, we're not professional filmographers that's one of the problems with doing something like what we do is like our skills are teaching mandarin not necessarily videography so uh that is one of the delays there but we're getting very close we only have a few more uh videos to you know fix the lighting issues and and go through and then we can post on the course we will make an announcement on the phase two course when that's ready and what it is, is several new videos that go into much greater detail about how to learn two character or more words uh, via our vocab mnemonics cheat sheet. So it's like, you know, loads of different techniques for how to remember an individual Chinese word without uh, having to drive yourself crazy and actually have fun while you're doing it and make good images and come up with good sound connections to the word. You know, does the word sound anything like... Um, uh, some English word or similar or similar enough that you can come up with an image to represent that. So there's a bunch of great uh, things that you can do there. And even if you're well beyond phase two, when these come out, I would highly recommend that you uh, take the time to watch those videos. There's only about um, maybe 13 or 14 of them. And then there's already the videos that Luke put out that are more theoretical. These videos actually go over the words that get unlocked in phase two. And sure, for many of you, you've already long since acquired these words. However, it would be good to go through them again and just get a sense of how they work. Okay, the next thing that we are making some great progress on, uh, on Friday last week, our assistant finished re-labeling uh, all of the audio files for the individual sentences throughout phase three, four, five, and the intermediate course. So this is about, you know, 5,000 some sentences, I believe. And he's relabeled them with the level, the actual name of the sentence, and whether it was uh, male or female. And so now we have all of the 
files correctly labeled in that way, which will be very useful for bundling them together and giving them to you at the end of a level so that you can put them on the background for immersion. Let me tell you, this is going to be really helpful. And also, as many people have pointed out, if you say, for example, set your phone music app on repeat and you're playing through some of these, it's a great opportunity to shadow because the name of the file has the sentence, right? So you can see the sentence on the screen. Now, sometimes the file name will be a little bit too long. It's not a perfect solution, but it's a, if it's a short sentence, you can see the whole sentence and you can play the uh, file on repeat and then just pause it while you listen and repeat. And then eventually you can start getting into a rhythm of, you know, the file plays and then there's a little bit of a gap and it repeats and the file plays. And eventually you're going to get the timing down on that. So it's like, you know, uh, beat. beat. And that that's the first sentence in the course. And, uh, you know, you hear that beat between the track repeating and you can start to shadow along with the native speaker so it'll be very helpful and also it's even more helpful is that it will be great for background immersion and by the end of the intermediate course you'll have thousands of sentences on background immersion that are highly comprehensible so they're going to reinforce those same things you're learning from Anki but on a more subconscious level and that's the type of thing that'll really help and so there's only one more step to that yesterday Annie came in and fixed uh, several of the mistakes that our assistant found and today Jerry's going to come in and fix his at which point they'll be ready to go so that one is going to be ready hopefully by the end of this week and so that's where we're at with that one next as many of you have pointed out to us and emailed us about, the HSK test has released their word lists for the new HSK format. So if you're unfamiliar with the HSK, HSK stands for So that translates to a Chinese level test. And this is the only internationally recognized Chinese as a second language test. So if you pass it, uh, you know, the majority of places in the world do recognize it as a legitimate uh, measure of your Chinese level. Now, of course, Luke and I are somewhat skeptical about the truth of that claim in the sense that we passed the highest level HSK test after two years of study. And we, we did indeed have some pretty good written and uh, written Chinese and re reading Chinese. But certainly in my case, a little bit less for Luke, I felt like my spoken Chinese was still not very good yet, and I we still passed. So to me, if a test can have you still pass if you don't have an element of Chinese all that on lockdown, it's probably not that great of a test. But still, though, the HSK is a test that matters on job applications, so we're going to be adjusting our course accordingly based on the new uh, word lists. And it's an interesting bit of changes that they're making. So one is it's mostly that they're adding a lot of words to each level. So for example, the HSK one used to be 150 words and it was pretty much a joke. It wasn't really that much of a test. It wouldn't get you a job anywhere. Nobody looked at the HSK one pass as anything, uh, that should be impressive, but they've moved it from 150 words to now, uh, 500 words so they've more than tripled the size of it and 
as per usual, they've tripled the size of it while also including some words that are, you know what it is? They include so many words that are related to being in class. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess for people who are in class, that's important. But for people who are on Mandarin Blueprint, many of them are not in classrooms. So who cares? You know, it's not if you want to focus on the words that are the most relevant to you and your possible encounters in life before you focus on words that are more specific to certain situations. And the HSK just assumes that it's students. And I mean, yeah, of course, a lot of students are in class preparing for the HSK, but you know they just don't seem to care about the people who aren't there uh, and aren't in that situation, which is a little bit annoying, but hey, it's what it is. So there are certain words that are in it. And so what we're gonna do is we found about 45 or 50 words that are in the new HSK one that we didn't cover until the intermediate course. So we decided, okay, we're gonna put these into the foundation course soon. and. We have the words, we have the new sentences, and uh, we're going to integrate them into the foundation course. That probably won't be this week, but they're coming soon. And they're they're simple words. They're not words that are going to be all that difficult to acquire, but we're going to be adding those uh, very soon. And then the new HSK2 and HSK3 words we'll be adding uh, into the intermediate course, and we're going to be kind of dripping them in throughout the intermediate course. So the intermediate course is going to change in the following way. At the moment, well, the way we originally designed it was to make sure that, first of all, we focused first on character frequency, and that was the main important thing. And then as a second afterthought, let's make sure we cover all the HSK4 uh, vocabulary that can be covered by the end of it. Now, what the HSK4 is now, the new HSK4, is actually much more advanced than the old HSK4. It's quite similar to the HSK5. So... We're going to be now considering that it's the HSK-3 that you'll have prepared, the new HSK-3 that you'll have ready by the end of the intermediate course. And then what we'll do at the beginning of the advanced course is make sure that we cover everything else first for the HSK-4, then the HSK-5, then the HSK-6. And then the HSK-7 through 9 are actually a, uh, they're sort of more advanced than any tests that there had been previously. So, um, and it's also, it's one test. So you sit down, you take one test, and at the end, they either say you failed, or you passed with an HSK-7, you passed with an HSK-8, or you passed with an HSK-9. Uh, so we'll eventually worry about those, but we're going to cover the the one through six for now, and then think about the HSKs seven through nine uh, a bit later down the line, because uh, it's, you know, theoretically it's even more advanced than than Luke and I might be although we passed the HSK 6 back in 2016 so I wouldn't be surprised if we were able to easily pass the HSK 7 through 9 but you know we'll worry about that later and also these new HSK tests aren't even available until July of 2021 it's only April now so we're kind of just getting ahead of the game with that so as a result of the new HSK 1 vocabulary the foundation course is going to be getting an additional uh, about 40 to 50 words in it and uh, it's some of them are just words that uh, some of them are words that I think I look back at them and go yeah you know we should have included this probably from the beginning but some of them are words like kuban uh, uh, or kuwan and so that's textbook and a text within a textbook and I'm just like yeah guys all right you're definitely the HSK. <laughs> um, and so there's things like that, that it's not a big deal if you didn't know them before. Uh, and so 
they're going to be integrated in the foundation course. There's going to be new vocabulary that we will add to the intermediate course that kind of catches you up on the foundation course characters with the uh, HSKs two and three. So you'll basically be catching up with what was in the foundation course, but in the HSKs two and three. And then uh, we'll be going from there to building the advanced course. And the advanced course, we're doing some prep for that. We're, we're trying to categorize our characters, categorize our HSK level, and you know build from there. And we're making some progress on that front. And hopefully we'll be able to get some substantive um, progress going there very soon. Now, what else? The intermediate stories. Ah, yes, another one that we have been almost ready for with for many weeks now. Um, so this was my mistake in thinking I understood how quickly it was going to work. So uh, we're at the point now where the stories are written. They've been checked and rechecked and rechecked again, and they have been recorded the recordings, we've discovered a couple of small errors in the recordings that we will quickly get fixed up once we've, you know, gone through all of them meticulously. But the text tracking files, that's where that's the step we're on right now. Because our assistant just finished with the labeling of all the individual sentence files, he's now uh, going through and adding timestamps to the text tracking files so that, a, you know, a piece of code can follow the text and be highlighting exactly what sentences being said at any given moment. And so this is the uh, one of the final steps towards getting this ready to go. And then we just have to, you know, we host the audio files and get these websites up. So unlike in phases four and five, the intermediate course um, files are going to be a link and it's going to be online, um, but it will be the type of thing where the text tracking is actually clearer and more detailed. So that's quite nice. So when I made them before, I would sometimes have like a whole long line that was underlined, whereas this one will tend to focus on just a few characters at a time and highlight them, make it a little bit easier to follow. And also we got, um, I would say, more professional recordings this time and they spoke at a, a more reasonable pace i would say and so they're easier to follow it's very clear mandarin and so we have those to look forward to very soon and for those of you who have already finished the intermediate course this will be like christmas because it'll just be 64 great pieces of content that are interesting and uh will improve your mandarin massively like how you'll feel about your mandarin before and after reading these 64 uh articles is you know, going to be night and day pretty much. It's going to solidify a lot of things for you. And those, the way we are going to structure those throughout the course is that the ones that you're ready for at the end of level 37 will drip into you starting in level 38. And the ones that you are ready for at the end of level 38 will drip in in level 39. That way you've had a chance to process the previous level's vocabulary before you really uh, get into those stories. So great stuff. It's a lot of really exciting um, things that we have coming forward in the future. And let me see here if there was anything else that uh, we wanted to give you an announcement about. I think that that's it for now. Just, uh, you know, keep giving us your feedback about this stuff, and hopefully we'll have many of these coming to fruition uh, starting by the end of the week and then getting some more moving forward from there. So thanks uh, for all of you for your patience, but there will be some good stuff coming in the very near future. Now let's get into the comments and emails from the week. First, we have Ryan Syed in the community. He says, hi, 
I have a lot of thoughts, so apologies in advance for the length. I'll try to put some subheadings in to make it easier. Self-intro. I'm 24, and I live in the U.S., but was born in Bangladesh. I grew up speaking Bengali and English. In middle school, I began to study Spanish and eventually finished a minor in it in college. In high school, I began to study classical Arabic and can read, write, and understand it somewhat well. I know Luke and Phil like to say learning languages has nothing to do with talent, but language, and specifically grammar, is something I have always excelled at. Therefore, I don't hesitate to dive into Mandarin. I just want to stop here and mention that, you know, talent is... Um, a tricky thing. I mean, I think I've always thought a better word is aptitude, just because talent, like I, I had this um, university professor one time speak about talent, and it was in relation to music. He was a, a jazz, a jazz education professor. And he said, talent to me would be somebody who's never played the trumpet before and could just pick it up and just start playing it right away. And I thought, yeah, like that's, that would be like natural born God given talent, right? But usually you're going to have to work for it. And how quickly you pick up on a given concept, now there's a level of aptitude to that. But then there's these so many meta games that come into it. So like, okay, maybe you're good at picking up a content, uh, a concept and you can pick up the concept faster than somebody else. But maybe you have very little um, persistence and you're lazy, right? And so it doesn't matter how much aptitude you have if you can't be consistent and you can't be persistent. So who cares? The, the you know that's definitely the slow and steady wins, wins the race when it comes to uh, the aptitude for persistence. So it's not that talent doesn't matter at all. It's just that I don't even think it's the most important factor. The most important factor is showing up every day by far. So, um, okay, let's continue. I actually got inspired to start learning Mandarin by watching polyglot YouTubers interact with people on the street in Mandarin. I've spent enough time studying other languages to know how great it feels when you can connect with someone in their language or can connect to another culture through language. With Mandarin being one of the most spoken languages in the world, I knew that if I could learn it, there are so many more people in the world that I could interact with in a more meaningful manner. The other languages I can speak slash study are all in the top 10 most spoken in the world, and Mandarin would be a great addition. It also seems like with the current world order, knowing Mandarin will only become more useful over time. When I started looking for a good course, a website I found recommended Mandarin Blueprint and Yo-Yo Chinese. I was really impressed by the marketing of Mandarin Blueprint, and then another friend recommended it, so I began the program after that. Thoughts on the course so far related to tone slash pronunciation. I had a few reflections to share after going through pronunciation mastery and 59 characters into the main course on level 8. 1. The, the variety of recorded voices available is interesting. I find that Annie says the tones very clearly and makes it easy to replicate. However, when I make my first tone like hers, I sound a bit unnatural and exaggerated to some of my Chinese friends. It makes sense, though, because I can match the pitch of her first tone, but it isn't natural for me. I mean, yeah, sure, that makes sense. She's a female voice and kind of somewhat high even as a female voice, so um, makes sense. Continuing. The easiest way for me to do things is to make my tone pitches more similar to the male speaker, but imitating Annie's tone technique. I also noticed that Annie has less tongue curl than Jerry, hope that's spelled right, on sounds like ch, sh, j, that it's also easier for me to replicate. I had an issue where I sounded too forceful on fourth tone, 
and the slow pronunciations by Annie on all of the movie review Anki cards has gotten me to refocus on the high to low pitch technique of the fourth tone instead of just making a forceful sound. Yeah, this is a common thing that comes up for people learning Mandarin. I'll always remember this story of a Spanish guy in my class, and he would be talking to his boyfriend, his Chinese boyfriend, and his Chinese boyfriend would get mad at him because he would be like, you're you're being so angry with me. And like he was like, no, I'm, not, I'm just trying to say my fourth tones properly, <laughs> which I always remember that because it is possible to overdo the fourth tone a little bit. So, you know, you might want to go like, chuang, chuang, as opposed to just chuang, chuang. It's subtle, but it is a chuang. That, there's definitely a high to low, and it can some, and it's short usually. So, chuang, chuang. But you don't want to do too hard. You don't want to go like, chuang. Right, then you're going to sound like you're yelling at someone, right? <laughs> so uh, that makes sense. You'll get used to it and you'll get it down in no time. Continuing, I do a little of the tone pairs bonus Anki deck, and that speaker says words faster and probably more in the flow of sentences than many words in the pronunciation mastery that are said on their own. This speaker has been helpful to learn from, but I can't help but notice that her second tone sounds a bit subdued. Even when Annie reads entire sentences, I can clearly hear the low to high tone. I've been trying to follow Annie's second tone technique, but I'm not sure what to make of how the tone pairs speaker says it. Thoughts on my progress so far. In all other languages I've studied, I've learned how to read and write, so I'm glad Mandarin Blueprint focuses on characters initially instead of speaking outside of pronunciation mastery. However, as I'm 60 characters in, I do wonder when I'll start to feel like I can do a bit more in terms of output. I know that I'm currently building a foundation to be able to output well later, but I'm wondering when I'll feel like I will be able to reap the rewards of the work I'm doing now. Maybe it'll be after the 105th character when sentences come more into focus. I'll stick with it, but it'd be nice to know where the light is at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Thank you for reading. Any feedback or related discussion is greatly appreciated. So... Great stuff here. Actually, the Tone Pairs deck, that's something that today, actually, I'm going to have Jerry uh, re-record the Tone Pairs deck because the Tone Pairs deck was made with a AI text-to-speech, and we never actually got native speakers to make it. And the AI text-to-speech is better than nothing, but it's not as good as a native speaker. So I'm going to have Jerry re-record those today. Um, and so... Uh, that'll be fixed very soon. As regards to the output and the sort of reading literacy element to this, which Ryan is pointing out. So um, this is a great thing that he's, he's mentioning here. Um, 60 characters is certainly too early to start uh, start outputting, especially because at 60 characters, we don't even have you reading sentences yet. We The way we do it is the first 46 characters are really just focused on individual characters. And then uh, from 47 to 104, we're focused on uh, learning individual words. So two characters or more and the techniques associated with that. So that's phases one and two. And then starting at character 105, uh, you continue to do the man, uh, the Hanza movie method for the first half of level 13, the beginning of phase three. And then the second half of level 13, you start to learn new words that are, or sorry, you start to put the words you've learned together to create comprehensible sentences. And so Ryan's going to get to that very soon. And that's when you get start getting the comprehensible input. Once you start getting comprehensible input, you're not immediately ready to output, but it's what makes it possible to output. And considering that Ryan is saying that he particularly excels at grammar, as long as he's persistent, then it won't be very long until... He'll have something to say. And that's what output should all be about. 
output should feel very natural in the sense that if you feel like you're forcing output, then you're trying to do something too early and you need to read more and listen more. And you need to read and listen to stuff that you understand. And that's what the Mandarin Blueprint's all about because we want to make sure that what you're coming across is what you can understand. Now, uh, if you understand a sentence, if you either by listening or reading or ideally both, then you've added a bit of a brick to your, or, or I could say you, you've added a energy wave to your neural connections. And energy um, and electricity that runs through your neurons has heat. And heat welds things together. And it welds connections together. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of neurons in a Petri dish and they're like finding each other. Uh, that's what starts to happen. And you start to create connections that shoot the electricity between these clusters of neurons and they start to make these connections. Now, that's what you get from input. And then when you are ready to output, it's because those structures have been built in your neurons that fire when there's something to say. They go, oh, I know that. And it's not even conscious for you as a, an individual. It's, it's pretty unconscious. But when you go to speak, there is something there. And the only way there can possibly be something there is if your input process properly built those structures in your brain. There's no way to skip that. And so that's why there's, to some degree, a, a relief that can come from just recognizing that, hey, you know, I'll... Uh, just for now, input alone, and I'll let the output come when it's ready to come. And so for anybody on the Mandarin Blueprint Method, once you get into phase three, uh, you'll start to build up that uh, sense of comprehensible input. And then by the end of the foundation course, that's when I think it, it's pretty reasonable to expect a lot of output to naturally want to come out. Because before you're at 80% of Chinese by frequency, you run into a wall pretty quickly. It's it's pretty quick that you go, ah, I don't have the words to say this because you need to have at least the basics down. And that takes until about level 36. So you're looking at like, you know, if you were really committed and you had eight hours a day to spend on it, you could get through the foundation course in a couple of months. But for most people who have like, uh, you know, maybe an hour or two a day, you're looking at maybe six months to get that done. And then that's fine. The fact that your first six months is focused on learning characters very well and a method for learning them very well and then getting lots of input mean and practicing your pronunciation, of course, preparing yourself for one day outputting. That's, um, you know, that's great because if by six months you're ready to start outputting, it's not like the, those six months were idle. You were doing a lot. You were preparing to start to output. And then Again, six months is very little in the scope of your life. So if this skill is going to follow you for the rest of your life, then, you know, hey, six months is well worth it to get to that point. Now, of course, you don't stop there. You keep going and you keep building into the intermediate course. But once you reach a certain level of momentum, there's no doubt that you'll continue to keep going because you'll feel the effects of success. And once you feel the effects of success in this type of skill, uh, you're not going to want to stop. You might have your down days. I mean, everybody has their down days, but like... Uh, overall, you know, you're going to see, oh, I can do this. It's not like I'm uh, failing. So uh, thanks to Ryan for the question. That was a great or well sort of questions and uh, his comments on how he's been going through. Thanks, Ryan. Next, we have an email from Jeremy Marie. He says, greetings, Luke and Phil. As you have mentioned, I have been using the Demander and Blueprint Method course for over a month. First, a little bit of background. 
I began my journey learning Chinese in April of last year when I began watching YouTube videos. This was the result of growing disinterest in romance languages after having studied them casually for over 30 years without any success in achieving fluency. I was effectively hopeless. This past year, I've tried many of the popular learning apps and have enjoyed them greatly. However, I was on a quest to discover effective techniques that worked best for my learning and nothing seems to have worked for me. In fact, they were enough to hold my interest to a certain extent, but it felt as though they added more complexity in learning and gave me a sense that reaching the finish line of fluency was never going to be achieved. Fast forward to the present. I began to question my learning processes and... I knew that I needed to employ mnemonic and memory techniques. I knew this based on my experience with Remembering the Simplified Hens book by James Heisig and Timothy Richardson. I spent about a month on that book and was amazed at the results. I had proven to myself at that point that I had found the learning technique that works for me and decided to go all in. The Remembering the Simplified Hansa book was has proven to be helpful to a degree, but it wasn't enough for me to stick with it. To me, it was the equivalent of being handed tools and being told to build a house. It was overwhelming. Now, I knew that I needed something similar, but with a structured approach. Using my analogy, I needed something to give me a choice of foundations and home designs in order to be comfortable enough to build my house. Enter the Mandarin Blueprint Method. In my search for memory techniques, such as memory palaces, I came across your videos and observed that your product had the name Blueprint in it. <laughs> this sounded exactly like the type of structured learning I needed. I started the 14-day trial, this has since been increased to 30 days, and was hooked. At this time, I'm on phase three, character 115, and I feel that I have made the correct choice in investing in this product. I'm absolutely convinced that this program will bring me to fluency in a language for the first time in over 30 years of studying languages. I have purchased the first three courses individually due to budgetary concerns, but the aim is to eventually purchase the course in its entirety one day. I am that convinced of its effectiveness. Thank you, gentlemen, for your hard work and dedication to teaching this wonderful language, and I wish you all the best. Well, what a interesting email to read from Jeremy there because it's such a um, it's such a classic story to me especially the finding of the uh, remembering the simplified Hanzi book because it, it sounds a lot like us in a lot of ways we went through the process of trying to find uh, different ways to learn Chinese online um, we luckily found this book remembering the simplified Hanzi but did find it to be limited primarily because they don't have a pronunciation mnemonic. And uh, also, as a result of not having the pronunciation mnemonic, they put characters you should be learning way earlier, uh, quite late. The example I always give with that is the character na, which means that, pretty important character, uh, is taught at, like, I think, 1,432 or something like that. And it's like, you know, you need to learn that way earlier. But because... Heisig and Richardson thought, well, it's got a weird left side component. We're teaching this by components and you can't learn the pronunciations anyway. So you're just going to have to do our full books before you can even really start learning the language. So what does it matter what order it's in? Let's just do it by component. And I get that logic, but because once we added in the pronunciation mnemonic, suddenly you learn a character, you can immediately apply it to a word apply that word to some sentences, and so you don't want to be waiting to learn really high-frequency characters, hence why we reordered the whole thing, and, uh, you know, our order is, and, and technique is ultimately a pretty significant upgrade from the Heisig method. Now, um, 
then the the finding it's just cool that you found that and then you found us right because like that this was our thinking the whole time we were like well we have to improve upon this and so we did and then you found it and figured out exactly what we had gone through so uh thanks so much to jeremy for the email that's great to hear and i'm so glad that you found a course that works for you now next we have mesrap porsem on vocab unlocked from we wheeler renway I've noticed that in the word connections, way is sometimes second tone, way, sometimes fourth tone, way. Is there any explanation on this? Of course, there are many multiple pronunciation characters in Chinese, and then of those, many of them are simply a tone difference. So like sometimes it's way, or sometimes it's way, and then sometimes it can be either. So with this character, it's uh, when it's by itself, when it's just meaning way, uh, and there's no extra characters, it's often interchangeable, but it sometimes depends on what the, um, if it's paired with anything. So for example, uh, if it's by itself and there's not, it's not paired with anything, I hear it kind of mixed between second and fourth from other people. But sometimes it's paired with uh, R or some other pairing, which is usually written uh, Chinese. So uh, so for the people, I will labor. And so for the people, I will labor or will labor, right? And so that's an example where way and are are paired. And in that case, it tends to be way second tone. But when it's by itself and there isn't a pairing, you'll often hear it as way. Uh, serve the people. That's a very common one. You can say that in fourth tone, no problem. But then you have them in individual words, like for example, weila, which means for the sake of weila. This is always fourth tone when it's weila. Or the most common word that it's in, weishamma, which is the word for why. <laughs> for what? Weishamma, right? And in that case, it's never second tone there either. So the more common pronunciation is fourth tone, technically speaking, you will see more uh, instances of it showing up in fourth tone because in its most common word and a very common word in weila, they're always fourth tone. But then the third word in this lesson is renwei, which is definitely second tone. So uh, there isn't always a hard and fast rule for why this is, but this is one of those things that in Chinese, you worry about this. You go, am I going to understand this down the line? Am I going to remember that this is second tone? And there are things you could do to try to remember it. But the weird thing is, is that it ends up not being as much of an issue as you think. And I think that the reason for that is because you hear these words all the time and you see them all the time and then you listen to the um, the words with the sentences that you see, and then eventually it just starts to feel weird to say it the other way. Like, for me, renwei, it just is renwei. It's just how the word sounds. To say renwei, it just, it, every part of my body goes, no, 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 that's not, that's wrong, <laughs> right? So it just is naturally what happens when you get used to it. And so you do need to know that it can be second or fourth tone, but memorizing which words it's second tone and which words it's fourth tone isn't as uh, hard of a process as you might think it would be. It just kind of happens naturally. So uh, that's the answer for Mesrop. Next, we have Lynn Ford on 
Living Link's Logic of Chinese Word Learning, Part 3. She says, for pianyi, I immediately thought of ramen. So pianyi means cheap. So ramen association with cheap makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's convenient, you can buy it anywhere. It's an appropriate for a cheap meal. And yes, pianyi is pian is often pronounced bian, and bian means convenient. Uh, and in this case, yes, it's it's changed its tone. But as we teach in the Living Links logic, just because a tone change happens or there's a change in meaning doesn't mean you can't connect back to something else you know about the character. So if you know the character can also be pronounced bian and means convenient, then use it. It's, it's okay to use that because as I was talking about those neuron clusters and structures in your brain that get created, that's a really easy connection to make there once there's already a structure in place. Things that you know already are the only thing, only foundations you can possibly use to add new knowledge. So if there is something else that you know about a character, then it's not that you have to use it, but you can. And it doesn't matter that it's not exactly the same pronunciation. Continuing, she says, you can also buy it at convenience stores. Is that the sort of logic for living links? I'm doing well in the characters, scenes, props, etc., but still figuring out the living links for vocab. If I don't use a mnemonic off of the sound of the word and use an image only, that should still work, right? Well, the, the answer is almost definitely yes, but whether or not it works is something that your flashcards will tell you. You have these SRS flashcards and you have something that will... Uh, give you a chance to judge whether or not your mnemonic, your living link was strong enough. But in my experience, yes, if you have a strong enough connection and there's like, if you just have a picture of ramen, that'll probably be enough to remember pianyi. Now, I know that there's nothing about ramen that sounds like pianyi. Um, although pianyi kind of sounds like peeing to me. And so you can imagine Calvin, that picture of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes peeing on things. You could have a picture of Calvin peeing on things next to ramen. You'd probably get it at that point for sure. But even if you don't have a sound mnemonic, that's okay. Because, you know, you, I always like to remind people, you can wrote, memorize things, right? So like, you could compare it to the perfect mnemonic that is the greatest mnemonic ever, the utopia of word learning, right? Or you could compare it to rote learning, right? So if it is possible to learn something by rote, then isn't it even more likely that you'll be able to learn it if you have a good image? So you could learn it by rote, but just with a good image. Well, clearly, if it's possible without the image, then it's more possible with the image. Now, if you still don't remember from your flashcards, then maybe you should try to think of another type of uh, uh, some other type of connection, whether it be to the sound, to the meaning of the character in English, to how it sounds in Chinese, um, you know, and so coming up with different connections that way. We have the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet, which you can actually download in that lesson, the uh, Chinese uh, living links logic of Chinese word learning parts one, two, three, and four. All of them I put the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet. And I did that because there's so many options. And if you just, I recommend printing it out and just going through it and seeing, running through the suggestions that way. So these great questions from Lynn and my uh, short answer is, yeah, that'll probably work having the picture of ramen. And uh, even if it doesn't, your SRS will tell you. Next, we have Matt Schubert on level 15 complete. He says, on the topic of sentences, one thing I've started doing to make better use of them in my study sessions is immediately play the answer without looking at the characters. 
and see if I can get the meaning just by listening to the audio. If I get it within one play of the male and female voices, that's an easy. If I have to play it again or look at the characters, that's a good. Or if I have to really go one by one through each character to figure out the meaning, then that's a hard. I think it's helping with my listening skills, and it makes the sentence study, which can get a bit tedious as I like to unsuspend a lot of them, a lot more fun. I like this. So this is a another way of doing sentence flashcards, and by doing it this way, you're improving your listening technique. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're going to be giving you another tool for that very soon by bundling all of the sentences from each level together at the end of any given uh, uh, level so that you can get a chance to listen to them in the background, which will give you even more listening practice. Um, And I think I mentioned to Matt on the course that this is a good technique, but I wouldn't always do this. Sometimes do this, and then sometimes actually turn the um, sound off on your phone and just try to speed read try to come to the conclusion of what it means and what the missing character is in a sentence flashcard as quickly as possible because learning how to read quickly is another important skill to develop. So you want to develop both. And also there's an there's always the thought for me of like, if you do speed reading, then you can potentially increase the amount of flashcards you can do per day because if you have to listen to the male and female audio every single time, then for sure, you know, listening to the sentence two times is always going to be longer than trying to speed read it once and trying to speed read it once is even faster than one time so like it's kind of like the the process of doing it that way is it just it helps a lot if you can manage to um yeah it just really helps a lot if you can manage to do both so Practice a bit of both, and your listening will get better in the version that Matt just talked about, and then your uh, reading will get better in the other kind. Next, we have another comment from Matt Schubert on level 16 complete. He says, sorry for the long comment, just feeling very motivated right now and had to get this out. Confession time. I've been here before. (laughs) I did the Mandarin Blueprint Method course up to this exact set of characters and stopped. About a year ago, back before the restructuring of vocab and hands of movie method lessons and decks. I got overwhelmed with life stuff and totally dropped my learning and my flashcard reviews as they just seemed like too much work. They piled up and it became a feedback loop of, ah, too many cards, no way I can do my lessons, which made the, makes the cards pointless, etc., etc. By the way, I understand that feeling entirely. I do get that feeling, but it's not technically correct because you just don't have to learn something new. If you feel like your cards are too, mu- too much, then you just do only reviews until the reviews aren't too overwhelming um, because you don't want to lose what you've learned before. But anyway, that's just a uh, Matt gets that clearly because he's coming back here to talk about uh, what's going on later. But it's just, you know, we have these voices. So like, for example, uh, right now, my girlfriend and I are doing uh, a diet challenge of no refined sugars for 10 weeks. Right. And um, she had that thought of like, oh, you know, I feel like if I fall off the wagon with this, that it'll be a failure. And it's like, well, th- I get that thought, of course, because technically you didn't have no refined sugars uh, for 10 weeks if you she didn't fall off the wagon. But if she did, you know, it, it, technically she failed at one objective, but how many days are in 10 weeks? 10, 6, 70 days, right? So uh, if you, for 69 out of 70 days, 
don't have refined sugars or for 60 out of 70 days don't have refined sugars, that's better than every day having refined sugars or like only having two or three days in a 70 day period where you don't have refined sugars. It's like there's this sort of weird logic where we go, if it's not perfect, then it's just absolute crap. And like, that's not how, you know, reality works. It's still better to have 60 out of 70 days, you know, where you're doing it right than it is to have, you know, two out of 70 days. So, uh, it's this weird sort of all or nothing, uh, black and white thinking that we tend to do, but you know, as opposed to thinking on a continuum, but anyway, continuing with Matt's comment, he says, but I've since come back and redid the course from lesson one. I actually deleted all of my old cards and started totally fresh. Love the new organization of cards and lessons, by the way. And have now gotten into a rhythm of one to one and a half hours a day of study as soon as I wake up every day, seven days a week. I don't let work or weekend laziness or anything else get in my way. I've gotten back to where I was before with 10 times more confidence, a renewed motivation, and a positive study habit. I'm bleeping ready to break through this self-constructed barrier between beginner and intermediate Chinese learner, in large part due to Luke and Phil's continuous work to make this course as good as it can be. To anyone else who is reaching this point and starting to feel overwhelmed with how much they need to review or who is feeling like they're burning out, be kind to yourself. Recognize that this is a long journey and not a race. And if you have to retread some ground, know that it may actually help you in the long run. Cheers, Mandarin Blueprint Method gang. See you in the next lesson. So I love the positivity in this post from Matt. And, uh, you know, yeah, like there's always these moments in a long project where you're going to feel a bit overwhelmed. It's just, it's just life. I mean, what there's, just, there's no way to avoid that. Um, sometimes, you know, you're doing something and you feel great about it. Like I woke up today and I was in a great mood, but I didn't really choose that. <laughs> Other days I wake up and I'm kind of in a crummy mood and uh, there's no sort of like definite thing you can do. I mean, you can do things that are healthy. You can, you know, eat good food, exercise frequently, get enough sleep, um, you know, breathe deep breaths, make sure you're getting enough uh, oxygen in your lungs and in your veins and all of that um, and uh, be with good people. That stuff all matters, but that that all that's doing is maybe mitigating the variability and flux of life and the flux of experience. And so when you feel overwhelmed, one of the best things you can just say to yourself is like, Hey, it's how it is now. And it won't be later. I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at how I can be really concerned about lots of stuff that's happening with Mandarin blueprint and feel like, Oh my gosh, there's so many things. There's so many people who want my attention or time or energy and I feel like I can't do it all, right? And then an hour later or after having a good sleep, the same amount of stuff is there, but I just feel fine about it, right? And like, so what changed? Just my attitude. And so one of the things that's really helped me is in doing a daily meditation practice, just reminding myself that underneath everything, there is just this basic experience of being alive. And that's always there. And you cannot even escape it if you wanted to. So that basic experience of being alive is, you know, without thoughts, fine. It's kind of nice, you know. So that being the case, that's what I can always recommend. And that is the being kind to yourself thing. It's just recognizing that underneath everything, you're okay. There's still a blue sky uh, on the other side of the clouds, even when it is a stormy day. So uh, hopefully that 
type of motivation from Matt will um, help other people on the course. And uh, I'm, I hope that it helped him to write all that stuff out. All right, let's go into a more practical question here from Soren on Vocab Unlocked from Nye. There's a sentence here and he wants to know what it means. So just by the by, why would this be possible uh, to not know what a sentence means in the course? It's because in the intermediate course, we challenge you to learn sentences without a translation because you should be able to learn most sentences without the need or the crutch of English. Um, and also because translation is really tricky sometimes. Um, not everything translates. Some things do, of course. Some things translate quite well. Uh, but some things don't translate very well. And so you end up in these weird debates about the correctness of a translation. And that only gets more intense the more abstract the meanings get. And then when you get into the intermediate course, things get more and more abstract. So what our recommendation to people is, is that if you run across a sentence where you can't puzzle out what it means, then just ask us and we'll try to clarify uh, what the sentence is all about. So for those of you on the course, especially in the intermediate course, when you run across a sentence that you really just can't figure out, just ask us and then we'll answer it in the um, comments section and then uh, maybe even answer it to the point where it gets addressed in the podcast and therefore in the lesson. So Here's the sentence. 不要那么不耐烦。我们又没有把所有过错归到你身上. I can understand why Soren struggles with this a bit because it's it's quite abstract, right? So the first bit is actually pretty straightforward. 不要那么不耐烦. So 不耐烦 is impatient. So you're unable to nigh, tolerate or or be patient with Fan annoyance. So uh, theoretically, nai fan is your you are patient with patient with annoyance. Now this tends to be a set phrase. People don't tend to say nai fan without the bu. They tend to say bu nai fan to indicate that somebody's being impatient. Um, you can say ta hen yo nai xin to say somebody is patient. So nai xin is like the the heart of patience. So you are patient at heart. But this this sentence says. Don't be so impatient. 不要那么不耐烦. So there we go. That's that bit. 我们又没有. So this 又没有. 又, when it's used in this way, before a negation. 我们又没有把所有的所有过错归到你身上. It's like saying it's not as if, you know, by saying 又, you're emphasizing that it's like, yo, it's not as as if we're saying this, right? So, 我们又没有. So, it's not as if, and then what? Ba. So, we have that shifting the object in front of the, um, in front of the verb. So, 所有过错. 所有过错. All of the mistakes. Taking all of the mistakes. 所有过错归到你身上. So, 你身上 is like, in this case, it, that can literally mean on your body, but in this case, it's more abstract. It's like, you know, putting it on you. We're not putting all of these mistakes and putting them on you. Now, gui, gui means to return. It's kind of like hui, hui lai de hui. Gui is pretty similar to that character, although it's a bit, it can be used in a bit more of an abstract way. And so it's basically what this is saying. It's not as if we're taking all of the mistakes and returning them to your and returning them and putting them on you. I think the better translation is just to say and putting them on you. 
uh, and that that yo mayo is like it's not as if right. So let's go over it again. Don't be so impatient. It's not as if we're putting all the mistakes and putting them on you, right? So that's what this sentence means, and I get why it's it's tough to puzzle that one out. But it's a, it, it's just amazing that you're able to even look at a sentence like this and uh, start to get a sense of what it means because that is some abstract and interesting stuff that's going on in that sentence. So thanks to Soren for the question. Evan Hall on Make a Movie for Ugh. This takes me back all the way to the pronunciation mastery course. Those cards with ugh are seared into my, mem- into my brain thanks to my flashcards. I've gone, I've come so far. I never thought I would, I would have learned this much. It's, you know, I wish I could show that to people who are in pronunciation mastery because they, uh, a question we often get in pronunciation mastery is, should I be learning these words or just the pronunciations? And uh, I get why people uh, ask that, but it actually isn't. A relevant question because you're just trying to learn the pronunciations. And by the way, because there's great images all throughout Pronunciation Master, you will end up remembering these words as long as you keep doing your Anki reviews. And so Evan here is proving that because uh, ugh, doesn't even come up until the intermediate course. So the fact that he still remembers those Pronunciation Mastery lessons from ages ago is just proof that you'll get them, you'll get the words eventually. And But that's not the focus, but it just happens to be true that you'll learn these extra vocabulary words despite the fact the main focus at that time is just to focus on your pronunciation so uh and well done evan evan's been making comments on our uh course for feels like over a year now and uh just doing great stuff well done next kairi shikari on vocab unlocked from tian he says i think for the sentence ta yi zhou hui qu jian shen fang jian shen liang ci mei ci ban xiao shi Shouldn't jianshenfang be added as new vocabulary word or a top-down word in this sentence? So this is a great question. So this sent this um, lesson for jian unlocked four words: jiankang, jianshen, baojian, and uh, one other one I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, but jianshenfang is not one of the unlocked words we put, and that was somewhat by design. So one of the reasons is that technically jianshenfang is less common a word than jianshen, because jianshen just means to work out, right? Um, but the workout fang, the workout house, room, uh, place, building, well, what do you think that is? That's the gym, right? And so in the intermediate course, we're a little bit less strict about what words we unlock because you should be at this point starting to get a good sense of how Chinese morphemes work. So there's tons of fangs. And so you've got a lot of different things that could be fang, and you just see what's in front of it, what comes before it, and what could be reasonably interpreted as the meaning based on that understanding of how Chinese words work. So we've got our jianshen fang. So they're all, they're, they're, you could zu fang, that means to rent a place. You could Fang, that means to live in a place. You could fang, you could have a workout place. Well, that's the gym, right? And so the fact that it's possible to learn these words this way is very important because you're going to have to be able to do that moving forward. As much as Mandarin Blueprint, we can prepare you for getting to native Chinese material. There are so many words in the language 
many of which are the only way you're going to be able to figure them out is through context or just by knowing the individual characters. You know, infrequent words may be infrequent, which means that you don't see them repeatedly, but any given piece of text has a bunch of infrequent words in it, right? So like it's it's kind of a seems like a paradox, but infrequent words come up all the time. They just don't come up repeatedly, right? So du is the most common character in Chinese. It's frequent and comes up repeatedly. Um, but infrequent words, there's so many of them, right? There's so many infrequent words. So that you're going to see them come up from time to time. The question is, can you puzzle out what it is based on several different layers of the language? Is it because of the character components? You might not know the character, but you know the components, so you can maybe puzzle out what the pronunciation probably is, and then there's a semantic component, so maybe you can even get a clue as to what it means. But let's say you know the characters. Well, then now you can potentially know a, a, a new word that you haven't seen before, an infrequent word, just by looking at the characters. Or in this case, we know the characters, but we also know one of the words, which is jianshen. So like um, by saying jianshen fang, we can therefore figure out that this is probably a gym based on the characters and the words alone. But that's not even your only tool because you can also see the context of a sentence or the context of a paragraph or the context of an entire book. I was pointing this out the other day that I was reading Harry Potter once and there was a point made at about three quarters of the way through the book that was referencing a point at the very beginning of the book that taught me a secondary usage of the character lung, which is uh, lung means to like uh, stop suddenly because you've realized something like you, you left your wallet at home and you're walking and suddenly you realize that you left your wallet at home. So you lung like you stop and then you turn around or whatever. Right. And there's another one for it, uh, a character or meaning of lung, which means kind of rash and, and, uh, sort of too hot-headed and that's lungto. So it's in the word lungto. And the character in Harry Potter was referring to a person from the like second chapter of the book where he said um that uh sort of hot-headed young man. And I knew that it had to have meant meant hot-headed because it's the only thing that made sense with the reference to the previous moment in the book. So that's an example where I learned a secondary usage of a character that I'd never learned before because of context that came hundreds of pages before. And so my point just being that you're going to have to learn words based on context and understanding morphemes. And But luckily, you've got a lot of tools at your disposal. You're not... It, 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 that's not that hard of a task, actually, because you've got character components, characters, individual words, you've got the uh, sentences, you've got the paragraphs, you've got the chapters of a book. You know, it's there's so much that can help you. So as long as you know the characters well and you know you have a good grasp of the most important words, you can stop worrying so much about like, do I have I built up my stats and learned all of the words? from, you know, is my word list on memorize high? That's actually, you know, that's just a game that you're playing. The, what really matters is that you have the ability to acquire new stuff, which Man Blueprint absolutely gets you to. So keep it up, Kyrie. Soren Korsbeck on Vocab Unlocked from Zhuang. Uh, another one where he wants to get clarification on the meaning. So the sentence is, 你得学会去包装自己来吸引别人的注意力. 
So I can see why, again, once again, why this isn't necessarily super obvious because this particular meaning of bao zhuang is quite abstract. So have you ever heard the idea of somebody like packaging a celebrity to be more marketable? Like we're going to package this singer as a, uh, you know, a uh, girl next door and she's going to be super clean and you know it's like think of Hannah Montana versus Miley Cyrus right like what's the difference between those uh, between how she's packaged in those two in- instances very different right you know so we have the you know nice clean Hannah Montana then Miley Cyrus you know rebel uh, not doing what you know society wants for being provocative and then you know all of that so that's an example of how you might package something. So that's the essence of the meaning here. So with that in mind, let's look at the sentence again. So you must learn how to. So this is a good example of the differences between the different types of learning because this is a verb result word, with the result being. And so what do we say? Are you able to speak Chinese? So hui in this context means able to through learning. So xue hui means to learn how to do something so that you're able to do it, right? As, as opposed to say something like xue xi, which is study, like learn by repeating and practice, right? Versus xue hui, which is like to learn so that you can do it, right? Ni de xue hui qu bao zhuang zi ji. So to go and package yourself lie in order to so xian means attract, bieren, other people. So attract other people's what? Attention. So you must learn how to package yourself in order to attract other people's attention. Pretty cool, right? So I can understand why that's not super obvious right away, but cool sentence, right? Let's move on to the next one. Jason Pan on level 29 complete. He said, what do the numbers mean next to each character in the progress by word type chart? For example, Nian 2. Also, a question I should should have asked earlier, but how do I know how many vocab words I've learned up to this point that does not involve counting from the chart? So the first answer is that um, some words have more than one usage. So if we put one or two, we're just saying that like, Usage one, usage two, because in some cases a word can be both an adjective and a noun, or it can be two different types of nouns. Like in this case, nian um, is, you know, it can mean year, but it can also mean like uh, the new year or the um, the celebration of Chinese New Year. So it kind of has those double meanings. And uh, so, like for example, guo nian, that means to celebrate Chinese New Year. So it's so it's similar, and they're both nouns, but in that case, it's kind of, um, the, the there's two usages. So that's what that's about. The next thing is actually a bit of an update I can give you guys, which is that we're working with the same guy who's helping us build our flashcard software, which is still in development. And uh, I asked him to help us with this problem because we, we have all these words that you learn, but what if we want to add a new word in? Well, at the moment, it would have been, it's a big pain in the butt because... If I were to uh, add a new word, say, to level eight, then I would have to change all of the um, level reviews for uh, level nine, 10, 11, 12, because we say, here are all the words you know after level eight. 
Well, if I add a new one to level eight, that means that all the words you know in level nine now need to include that level eight new word. And so same thing for level 10, same thing. And so there's 57 levels and we built it manually. So I, we're working on a program where you can see your progress at any point by clicking a, a link and I can, if I add something in, it'll populate the rest of the um, review lessons with the all the words you know. And at that point, you'll be able to know uh, how many words you've learned by uh, looking at the page there. Um, and you know, we've it would we, I'll also make sure that we have a word a total word count uh, as well uh, from that point. Next, Jason Pon on Xiang in context. 我长得像妈妈. What's the difference between Zhangde and Xiang in this sentence? I understand them both to mean the same thing. So if I say 我像妈妈, that's just a statement of fact about the present. I look like mom, right? 我像妈妈. But if I say 我长得像妈妈, then I'm also indicating that I've grown into looking like mom. So 长得, 长得, well, that's this is actually the very common structure, which is verb plus d plus something. So, um, pao de kuai, verb plus d plus adjective, pao de kuai. How did he pao? He pao de kuai, or he pao de man. He's running slow. Um, uh, pao de luan. He's running chaotically. Right. So you add in d after a verb to connect that verb to an adjective. Well. Uh, or in the case of Zhangde Xiang Mama, you're taking the verb phrase Xiang Mama and connecting it to Zhangde, which is also fine. So, like, um, if I say Ta Zhangde Piaoliang, I could just say Ta Hen Piaoliang. Uh, she's very beautiful. But by saying Ta Zhangde Piaoliang, I'm sort of saying she's become beautiful. She's grown into being beautiful. And, uh, it's kind of a cool way to think of it because, of course, everybody's on a journey. Everybody's in a process of change. So, uh, you know, Zhang uh, Like maybe you don't Zhang until until you're in your uh, 40s. Oh, here's to hoping. Uh, so, you know, you got to you, you think of it like that. You just say, OK, you you grow into what you look like. So that's what the difference is there. Philip Dong on Zhang Xiang in context. He says, hi, Luke and Phil. In this sentence, Ta. Would it be incorrect to write slash say it as Instead, no, it's not incorrect to say it like that. So the sentence means his appearance uh, is the same as his mom. And really the only difference here is the extra d that uh, Philip added here. So the first one is and he added a de between ta and mama. So And they're both fine. You can tend you tend to be able to um omit de when it's between a relationship that is quite intimate, like someone and their mother, for example. And you could even say uh now that that actually ended up being turning into a curse word as well. Although it, it, what's funny about Chinese is that like you can say things that would be a curse word in other situations. So, uh, you know, tai tamada dioren. So tamada. It's kind of like saying effing. Uh, it's so effing 
like embarrassing. Like it's so effing embarrassing. But and it is actually Tama his mother. <laughs> That's kind of just a tangent. You could also say Tama as in his mother. Sure, it's Ta the Mama is the full version of that. But you could even shorten it to Tama uh, or Ta Mama. Either way, because such an intimate relationship, you can get rid of the, but it doesn't mean that having the the is wrong. So it's all of them are fine, really. Jason Pan on my in context. What does yong xin mean here? Is it like, is it just like use their honest heart or something? Is this a colloquial thing? No, um, yong xin is, it just means what it sounds like. Use your heart to uh, make your product, to make what you sell um, made well, to make what you sell good, right? hao. Right, make it good, and so use your heart. Like you know, what, whatever associ- metaphorical associations you might have with that, that's what it means. It's just sort of like, uh, don't just do it, like w- mindlessly. Use your heart and mind, you know. So, uh, and uh, then he says also, 自己卖的东西. All this to say, product. Is there a single word for this, or is there a specific meaning on context? Well, first of all, in this lesson, we're trying to teach the character my, which means uh, sell. Dongxi um, just means things. That's why it's such a useful word. And by the way, zizi my the dongxi isn't. It's not all of that for product. Product is just my the dongxi, the things you sell, right? So. Dongxi is really useful for people learning Mandarin because you can apply it to almost anything when you don't know the word. Yes, there is a word for product. It's called chanpin. Chanpin. You could also say shangpin. Shangpin. So shang means like sales or whatever, but chanpin is a bit more common, and that just means manufactured goods. But at this point in the course, you haven't learned chan or pin, either one. So uh, that being the case... We'd rather have a sentence that A uses the character my for sell, which uh, is the pr- purpose of this particular lesson, and also show you that you can still say the same thing without having to know the word. That's what fluency is about. You don't have to know every word to be able to express yourself. And my the dongxi versus chanpin. Okay, there's two extra syllables in my the dongxi, but they mean the same thing. So if you can say it with the vocabulary that you have, then you're doing great. So, uh, you can't learn all words at once. So while you're in the process of learning words, learn how to express yourself by describing things. And you can describe things and then somebody will say, oh yeah, you mean uh, your champion, right? And you're like, oh, champion, what's that word? And then you can learn a word because you were able to describe it in that moment. So great stuff. Next, we have Jason Pan on jian in context. Now, jian can be a measure word for clothes. So... You can have clothes in general, which is just yifu. Ta zai chuan yifu. He's wearing clothes. Thank God. But if I say yi jian yifu, I'm referring to an individual piece of clothing, whether it be a shirt or a, a pants or whatever. It's a general uh, It's a general term for one piece of clothing. So let's look at Jason's question with that in mind. Ta jin tian hui chuan yi jian hong yifu. Would the meaning be different if it was... 她今天会穿红衣服 Without the measure word. She's going to wear red clothes today. Well, yeah, the meaning would be different in the sense that 
the first one is a piece of red clothing as opposed to just red clothing in general. So, for example, if you said to somebody, uh, the way they're going to interpret that is like, wear all red, probably, you know, uh, whereas if you say, uh, they're going to interpret that as, okay, as long as one of my pieces of clothing is red, I'm following the requirements. So you can think of it like that. Next, Jason Pan on Guanggao in context. Here's the sentence. Is the li mian being split up with the niu rou? To talk about beef inside the ad, I feel it isn't. Or does niu rou mian instead, of, instead mean beef cubes? If not, if so, not sure how mian represents this. Are beef cubes called mian? No. Guanggao li is just saying within the advertisement. So that's what li is. And then guanggao li, the what? Niu rou mian. So what can mian be? Noodles. Mian is noodles. What type of noodles? Beef noodles. Niu rou mian. And then the point that this the sentence is saying is that um, within the advertisement, the beef cubes are really big. Niu rou tebie da yi kuai. Yi kuai is a piece of beef, and it's usually in cube form, so when it's in niu rou mian. So, niu rou tebie da yi kuai. And so each cube of meat is really big in the advertisement for beef noodles and then the reality is that they're quite small so it's kind of like you know the mcdonald's big mac looks amazing in the uh advertisement looks crap when you actually see it in the mcdonald's and so that's the difference here I, sometimes it, you know I, uh, this is the type of thing where there's like an over thinking i think that happened a little bit with this um but uh still though just all that really happened was that Jason probably just forgot that mian can mean noodles as well as all the other things that it means. Uh, so that's all, uh, and we'll move on to the next question. Jason Pan on dang shi in context. Is it a past-oriented word, or can it be used in a future context? Like, I will at the time do X, Y, Z. I ask because the sentence doesn't have anything else to indicate should have in the past, right? So dang shi, yeah, it tends to be focused on at that time in the past. You know, I didn't know at the time that he was sick, right? So that means I do know now, but I didn't know at the time. And so it tends to be past oriented. Um, this is one of those things where I don't feel like I can 100% say there's no context where you could put it in the future, but I, I can't consciously recall ever hearing anybody using it in reference to anything other than how they were thinking about something at that time in the past. So that's where um, it's at at the moment. Uh, and if it is ever used in the future, it's very rare. Let's now move on to the movie scene shares. Here we have Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Zao, which means to create or manufacture. Zao, walk the talk. Even though this is not a Henza movie, walk the talk comes to mind from the road component on the bottom and on the top. This reminds me of the chapter of creation in the Bible where God, along with along the way, road component, says the word gal, which equals informs, 
and then something is created. Chuang Zhao. Yeah, so God speaks the world into existence. And uh, I think that that's a great connection to have. This is essentially a keyword connection to Zhao that looks at the components and thinks about how they could uh, relate to the meaning of to create or uh, manufacture. So great, awesome stuff from Rick there. Will Rayleigh on make a movie for Ke, which means this is usually used as a measure word for various flora, various plants. So Keanu Reeves at the E set front door. So there we have the pronunciation done. Ke. All the flora around the door is dull and dying due to a tree taking up all the root soul space. Okay, yeah, sure. Keanu fires up fires a pineapple at the tree and knocks it over. All the flora around the door begin to brighten up. Today is a great period of time for the flora, thanks to Keanu. So I like this. So this is great use of contrast. When you're doing your Henza movie method scenes, when there's something that is, uh, you know, if the, the flora is dead and dying and then the scene ends by it coming back to life, great contrast, great clarity that that's the focus in the scene. So excellent stuff from Will there. Hank Elliott on Make a Movie for Jal. My son-in-law, Jeremy, the ZH actor, is in the backyard, tone, of Sandisfield Ambulance, AO set, with his children, both with their skates, prop, on their legs, prop. They're both skating so well. It's a great omen, keyword, for their athletic future, which pleases Jeremy. Faster and faster they skate. Their skill and future health are assured. What a great omen. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a little bit abstract how this is, uh, you know, portrayed. But, um, I, you know, for me, and this is not anything that Hank brought up, but for me, the word omen reminds me of the movie The Omen. Because the omen movie, the original one from, I think it was the 70s, my dad and I watched that when I was down in, with him in New Orleans and I was 11, and man, sometimes you see a movie too young, and I just, it just scared the heck out of me, but it therefore made it very memorable, and so I would have incorporated something from that movie into my scene about Omen, but um, that is, of course, he was going for a good Omen, and uh, I, you know, that this may work. If, if it doesn't, then see if you can get something more visual into it, like get Damien from the Omen into it, because um, uh, it's not like omen here is shown very clearly as opposed to other things you know it's like you might look back at this and go well maybe this has something to do with um you know uh, jeremy uh, teaching kids or maybe he's teaching them like you know, so when you don't have a very clear visual representation of the keyword it can sometimes it could be confused for something else right so uh, otherwise though i like it next we have hank elliott on make a movie for tiao which means to choose to pick uh, it's not the only way to say choose, but it's one of the ones that is more colloquial. Uma Thurman, the TI actor, is the enforcer for an evil scam ring from a TV show. She is out front of Sandusfield Ambulance, which covers the tone and the AO set. She is desperately searching for the next evil scammer to work for the doctor from a show. She suddenly spots evil-looking Damien, the right-side prop, and points at him with her giant finger prop. She knows he will do perfectly with that horribly evil-looking face. She picks, keyword, him from the crowd of wannabe evildoers. Immediately, she begins scamming Damien into believing that she is the good guy. 
Ah, he will find out sooner or later that he is perfect for the role of scammer, and he will he will be glad he was picked. Yeah, I think this is fine because the visual representation of picked here is quite clear, and that's that is the sense of this word tiao. Um, so like xuanzu or xuan is another way to say choose, right? But tiao has this feeling of like I'm picking from many things. So like. Uh, uh, for example, I have a bunch of fruits in front of me and I'm going to pick this fruit or pick that fruit. That's the sense of tiao, hence why the fingers com components are in it. So even though it's very similar to xuan or xuanzu, it's uh, very, uh, you know, it's got that particular extra sense of picking from many things, picking one out of many or, or just a few out of many. Next, we have Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Ku, which means uh, guest. He says, Kevin Hart K is in the bathroom of at Barton E. That's your uh, pronunciation. But the room feels and looks like Wakanda from Black Panther. He puts a tin can on his head as his crown and holds his passport. Good. You may enter Wakanda as our guest. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know... What are things that we do for guests when we walk in? We open the door for them. We uh, uh, offer them something to drink. You know, you can get across a few more things if you wanted to add some colorful uh, flavor to it. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Bay. Bruce Lee B is in the bathroom at Grandma Davis's EI teaching a sloth top component how to prepare his mind for battle. Take the Rubik's Cube which is the bottom component, and get ready for a mental battle. Go, Bruce thinks. I better be ready for a long night. Nice. So we have Bruce Lee and the sloth preparing for a Rubik's Cube mental battle. You know, I think that maybe having the sloth and the uh, and Bruce Lee having sort of thought bubbles come out and their thought bu bubbles are actually battling, but they're preparing for battling and maybe they're, uh, you know, getting um, some of their Rubik's Cube research set up and they you know, clearly in a preparatory situation because it's the main character in Junbei, which means to uh, prepare. Final movie scene share for this week's podcast from Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Ling. Which is, this is a, a cool character, you know, you can have a mingling, which is a command, your orders from your uh, a commanding ops, officer. You can, um, uh, ling is kind of a written synonym for zhang or jiao, meaning like to make someone do something. But ling has a little bit more of a, like a command feel to it. So it's often used in military terms. So Lisa... L.I. is in the bathroom of at the engineering building, N.G., when her Apple Calendar app, Jin, uh, goes off. Siri speaks and orders her to make something happen today because she's bored. Lisa adds a drop of glue to the app so it never speaks again. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty clear. And uh, you had that one little drop at the end, which is the final stroke of this character as well. And... Uh, We've got it down pretty pretty clearly. So excellent set of questions this week, everyone. I had a great time doing this podcast, and we always enjoy interacting with you in this way. So please enjoy uh, the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. We have a 30-day free trial now, which you can check out at mandarinblueprint.com. I mean, what you know, you can 30 days, you can finish the pronunciation mastery course. That's a $20 course that you can just finish for free. And then uh, you'll get a good chance to start up the phase one uh characters and components course. So great job, everyone. 
We'll see you next week.